A lot can happen in three years, like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at uh1.com. Hello and welcome back to the EPL Roundtable. I'm your host, Kevin DeVries, and as always, if you'd like to reach us at the podcast, you can do so by either tweeting us at EPL Roundtable or emailing us at EPLRoundtable at gmail.com. Hi, I'm Sean. I'm at West Ham Football on Twitter, and as you might have guessed, I'm a happy hammer. Hello, I'm Jake. Get me on Twitter at Jake Jaffer with two N's, and I work for EPL Index and The Boot Room. Hi, I'm Zach. You can find me on Twitter at ZachForster underscore, and I'm the resident Liverpool fan for today. Yeah, thanks so much for joining us today, guys. This is our first formal episode of Season 6 of the EPL Roundtable, so very pleased to have all of you guys on with us today. Um, We're going to start off with some general topics before we get into more specific things for each of our guests. Um, Up first, uh, obviously all of our teams are currently engaged in friendlies or friendly tournaments or international champions cups um which has led to a lot of people overreacting to things like yesterday liverpool's big win caused some liverpool fans to be delighted some united fans to think the whole season's over already uh how much weight do you guys put into friendlies and the results of them um not that much if i'm honest with you um i've tried over the years to work something out and you know in in our big season in 86 1986 that is um, I think we lost all our friendlies, but went on to finish third in the league. There's, there's no pattern of how well you do. It's about getting fitness back there, and it depends on 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 what opposition you've played. I mean, look at Everton. They played a Sunday league pub team <laughs> and won 22-0. What did they learn out of that? I just, it, it just, it doesn't make sense to me. Um, we played a, a, a Switzerland team and lost 3-2, but then we've, we've gone on to play... Ipswich and and Villa and Preston North End. I think we've drawn one, one, three. It means nothing. The only thing I think for us, for West Ham at the moment, it means is we've got a new manager, Mr. Pellegrini, and we've got seven new players. And we've been, he's been experimenting with using them as in a slightly competitive match to work out formations. You know, is he going to play um, four, three, three or or four two 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 or four five one. It's he it, it seems to be experimenting. Who's going to be our centre backs? Who's going to be our defensive midfielders? But one thing, uh, it does look special. And now I'm going to I'm going to turn everything you just said on what I said on my head about friendlies is uh, Marko Anatovic has scored five goals in four games. Yeah. Friendlies, that is. He's been involved, which means he must be winning the golden boot. And today on the blog I write, Clarence Hugh, I wrote that he's a contender for the golden boot. And he's 66 to 1, by the way. So if you want a little <laughs> cheeky money on. bet on Marko Adnautovic to win the golden boot, uh, he scored 11 goals in half a season last year, then 66 to 1. Yeah, and there's certainly talented players either side of him, but we will get to that in a little bit. Uh, Jake, what are your thoughts on this whole friendly season? Um, I, I pretty much agree. I don't put a lot of stock into it. I think you can get a few tactical sort of um, takeaways from them. You can see players that might be involved that haven't been in the past, uh, and that you know the the players that you thought uh, the manager seems to be favouring. But I've not actually watched any of Newcastle's preseason friendlies. So I couldn't tell you how they're doing. I know we've drawn a couple of games. I think we drew to Harlow. That we drew to Porto yesterday. So I'm not. I, 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 to be honest, after the World Cup, I wasn't. I'm not desperate to get back into watching football until the season starts. So I haven't been following every season. But yeah, I, I don't really think a lot matters about it. I remember when we won the championship in 2010. I think we lost a preseason friendly to Leighton Orient 6-1. So yeah, these things happen. You, you win and you lose friendlies. Uh, quite often, if you have a bad preseason, you quite often start quite well in the league, and and vice versa sometimes. So I I don't really care for them. I, you know, it's it's nice to see you know some of your new players get some action. It's nice to see some young players get involved in the first team. Uh, and sometimes a play, I I think more 
more than you know taking about the team's performance and saying, oh, we're playing well, we're going to do well this season. You can sometimes see a player, you know, come through in preseason, emerge as a, as a first team player. Um, we've seen it in New- at Newcastle in the past. Um, uh, last year we saw. Uh, Roland, no, a couple of years ago now, we saw Rolando Aaron's play quite well in preseason. He got a go in the first team. So quite, you can you can see sometimes players come through. Um, but yeah, I don't I don't really think a lot matters. You know, you, you're going to get your main takeaways about your team. You know, ten games of the season. That's when you know whether you're going to have a good year or a bad year. The preseason games are, are more or less just a fitness exercise uh, and to just sort of experiment with tact- tactics more than actually seeing how well your team are going to do this season. Yeah, Zach, curious to get your, your thoughts on this on the other side, because Liverpool have had a pretty good preseason, especially uh, the match yesterday with that ridiculous goal from Shakiri. Do you put any weight in that on that side? Um, in terms of the results, I don't really put any weight on, you know, on my thoughts on how the season's going to go. Of course, if Danny can come in and adapt to a certain play style quite quickly as Shakiri seems to have done um, with the United game, obviously got an assist and scored a really, really great goal as well. Um, then that's obviously encouraging because you're looking at personal games rather than sort of how the team's playing because obviously everyone knows that half the team for, you know, all these teams that are on tour, half that team isn't going to start on on the first day. Um, Mourinho made a very heavy point of that yesterday. Um, stating that basically the rest of his squad weren't good enough to be on the same pitch as Sanchez because of all the kids involved. Yeah, uh, and and of course you've got as a Liverpool fan with with Jurgen Klopp's manager, you've learnt to sort of you know you don't really believe what he says in the media. He was like hyping up Chirivella just sort of like 24 hours ago, but I'm pretty sure we agreed a deal today for like 3.5 million for a transfer. So um, yeah, it's, you don't you don't really read anything into it. It's exactly as the boys have said. You're just looking to see how signings have done, maybe how the young players are, are you know behaving around the seniors. So for us, it's nice to see Curtis Jones getting a good run in the team in sort of the attacking mid roles, and also players like Rafael Camacho has played a couple of games at right back. Um, he looks really promising player. So that's all you're looking for, really, for me. Um, the results don't really mean a great deal as long as we get the three points against West Ham on the opening day, then. That's that's good enough for me. Yeah, Jake mentioned um, that he's in particular looking at players and, and how they fit into the system. I know for Tottenham, Lucas seems to be playing very well in the four-three-three. We've adapted. Is that mostly what you guys do look for in these matches? Is just players and potential tactical shifts? Yeah, definitely. So from from a Liverpool point of view, it's really good to see someone like Fabinho settling in because we've played so many years without an actual sort of classified DM, uh, a defensive midfielder. It's really nice to see how that might work going forward because we've not had a specialised defensive midfielder for so long. I mean, even we've been playing Lucas there for many years and he, he was actually signed as an attacking mid. So the last proper defensive mid with any real quality we had was Mascherano. So to see players like that um, is obviously very rewarding. Um, and how it might change Klopp's system, will it make us more secure? Will it be able to fill in at fullback more efficiently than, say, a Wijnaldum or a Henderson? Um and then you've also got just the anticipation of signings. So we, we've waited a year to see Naby Keita in a red shirt and he's looked absolutely great in preseason. So that's 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 it exactly. As you say, that's exactly what I look for. Yeah, and we would have wrapped back to Sean to ask what he thought about uh, what he's looking for friendlies, but it's clearly scouting the betting odds on Arnautovic being goal, uh, top goal scorer. So. <laughs> and, and West Ham finishing in the top six. Uh, interesting. That's a fantastic segue because the next question we were going to ask was what expectations do you have for your team this coming season, regardless of whether or not it's linked into those uh, preseason friendlies we were just discussing? Sean, uh, top six, you say? Well, funny enough, there's, so there's an actor. Have you, uh, have you heard of a British program called The IT Crowd? Yes, indeed. So Chris O'Dowd tweeted yesterday, uh, this will be a controversial um uh, a statement, but West Ham for the top six. Now, I'm not sure we can get the top six, but but a lot of people. We did a poll on our uh, West Ham news blog, and uh, majority thought something like 70% thought we could get in the top eight. So I think a seventh or eighth place is more realistic. Um, my only problem is, and I, uh, and again, I blogged about this just last week, is expectations. As Premier League fans, we're an impatient lot and we want instant success. So we've got Pellegrini, 
And we've bought seven. We spent nearly a hundred, over a hundred million pounds in seven signings, and we're expecting them to integrate completely, go to Anfield and and whack them four nil and win the Premier League in in the first year. That's the expectation of West Ham fans because the hype and the yeah. air of excitement. We all know the reality. When Jurgen Klopp came to Liverpool. It was a challenge for a while, and some people were getting impatient. When Tottenham sold Gareth Bale and bought how many players? I can't remember. Seven. They sh- seven. Oh, there you go. They struggled, didn't they, that first season to integrate them all in. And what I've said is, you've got to be careful. You've got to give Pellegrini time. You might have to give Pellegrini till December, because in reality, the way he wants to play, which is, Attacking, aggressive football, um, but also keep possession. His his philosophy is you must keep possession. You must keep the ball at all time because um, if the opposition haven't got the ball, they can't score, which is a very valid point. But um, this, you know, even though we're changing most of our team, we've got to adapt the new players and we've got to change the mindset of all the current players. Um, and as my ro- as my um, blog was entitled, Rome wasn't built in the day and nor will West Ham. Mm. So while joking that top six and predicting a top eight, I think that the first half of the season will be tough. Uh, I think we'll lose to Liverpool in the first game of the season, by the way. And I'm tipping Liverpool as the surprise Premier League champions next season. Um and I think it will just take a while to get going. But once Pellegrini gets going, I think we get the results in. And I think we will finish in the top half. I will predict my final bit, changing my mind for the third time, top 10 finish. <laughs> Fair enough. I, th- I think top 10 is, is a very good shot, although, as you say, there will be a betting in period for a lot of those new players. Um, Jake, what, what are your uh, thoughts on what Newcastle are looking forward to this season? Yeah, so I th- I actually might be a little bit more positive than you think after the summer we've had. I don't think um, I don't think we're going to struggle because I mean last year, second half of the season we we're probably one of the top eight teams in the form table. I probably correct me if I'm wrong, but I'm, I mean we finished in the top ten and we started the year at about 16, so that probably is true. I don't have the stats in front of me. And I've, you know we we barely lost a game in the second half of last season. We you know we beat Manchester United, we beat Arsenal, uh, we beat. Um, Chelsea as well. So I, I, I think we've got exactly the same team. It was important that we got Debravka and Kennedy back in. We got them both. So we've got the same team. We haven't really improved on that team a lot, but if at all, but we've got that same team. And if that's a top 10 team last season, that shouldn't be a bottom three team this season. That's the way I'm looking at it. Sometimes I think you can glamorise transfers a little bit. It happened last season with Everton. Then they could finish above Liverpool. Uh, and, you know, Swansea on, on deadline day against Sanchez and Boney. Everyone's saying, oh, they're going to have a good season now. It, a little bit too much is put into transfers these days. I think that it's one element of, of having a successful club, but it's not. It's it only takes up a certain about percentage. You know, tactics, manager, um, stability. Uh, you know, the mood around the club. A lot of it goes into it. So I, I I don't think that the fact that we haven't spent as much money as we should have done is going to mean that we're going to struggle. I think we should be fine. Uh, we're probably going to spend a bit more money. Not not enough money. Admittedly, um, but we're probably going to spend a bit of money before the deadline. I think we'll probably get Rondon. He's fine, probably an upgrade on what we had. Not not probably what we wanted, but he's better than what we had. So you know, our team's going to be slightly better going into the season. Not as not as good as not. We haven't shown enough ambition to keep Rafa, but he's longer than another twelve months. But we've got we've got him for this season. So with him, with our team, I think we'll probably be somewhere in that shuffle between between ninth and. 13th. I don't think we'll finish any lower than that. I think we'd lastly we got a lot of young players that have improved over the course of last season. I think Perez and Lascelles are gonna have much better years. So yeah, I think I think we're gonna do all right. I think we'll be fine. We're not gonna we're not gonna break any records, we're not gonna win any cups, we're not gonna qualify for Europe, but we're not gonna go down either. So I reckon a, a solid mid table finish again for us, which is exactly what Mike Ashley wants. So <laughs> I guess that's a successful season. <laughs> Fair enough. Yeah, your defence isn't gonna randomly be awful. Like that, that, that is the foundation of that team, it seems, from the outside looking in. So uh, I think you should be safe again this season as well. Um, as uh, Sean alluded to there, Zach, Liverpool, uh, at least people in, in media, are certainly starting to consider this as potentially the year after years of potentially being the next year. 
um, have made some fantastic additions. You fixed a lot of your holes at the second half of last season with the development of Robertson, the purchase of Van Dyke. Um, are you thinking this could be a, a title-winning side for Liverpool? I think in any other era of sort of like the, of the Premier League, any other year, I would I would be thinking, yeah, this is, you know we're pretty much odds on, but with the evolution that Man City sort of brought to the challenge last season with the records and and the ruthlessness and you know just the juggernaut of their football I think it's just raised the bar again and I think although we this is probably the first time in my lifetime that Liverpool have sort of like had more than two star players in the team and, and then on top of that it's probably the first time in my lifetime where we've not had to sell one of them to buy another and then on top of that, I've never seen us have like six star players in one team, which is pretty much what we've got now. Um, so this is like this is like completely un, unknown territory for me. I think my prediction before the transfer window started, so this is even before the World Cup, I said that City would win the league again, but the, the gap would, would be much more narrow to second place. And then I thought it would be next season that someone would take it away from them, maybe like a resurgent Chelsea or a resurgent United or an evolved Liverpool um, I think we, we can definitely win the title this season. It would just be a massive, massive feat to do so. Um, I think, as you say, we've plugged a lot of holes that were really important to us. Um, we've sort of got the, the defensive midfielder in, which will hopefully solidify us in transition so we don't get caught on the counter-attack as much. Um, you know, Van Dijk's bedded in even more. Robertson's second season. We've got the new goalkeeper, which should be an improvement on Karius. Um, and also... You know, we've got Naby Keita, who is basically probably one of the best all-rounders in the world at the moment for midfield. Um, and he he looks like he's been a great sign. He's bedding really well. And we've kept the front three together. They've, you know, two, of them have, two of them have signed new deals. The third one looks on the way. So in terms of how Liverpool look right now, we look really grounded. We look really settled. And this could be the time to push on and sort of, you know, finally win, win the title. But to be fair... Liverpool just need any trophy at the moment. We've what, lost three finals in, what, three years? And it's kind of becoming sort of a hoodoo. I mean, we've only won two trophies in, what, is it 13 years, which we're reminded of all the time. So in terms of this season, another top four finish and a trophy would be probably bare minimum. Last season, it was top four. That was bare minimum. This time, it's top four and a trophy. I think we'll finish second, if I'm to make a prediction right now. I think we'll finish second to City. But I'd... You know, a bit of luck, then yeah, possibly we could we could we could mount a good challenge. Yeah, unfortunately, as a Tottenham fan, we're basically pushing for the same thing: top four and hopefully a trophy. And of course, we're all in the same competition, so uh, it'll be tough. And there aren't that many trophies to go around; just really four there um, uh, of note. Uh, next up, we're going to talk about transfers. We, we've kind of touched on them for our individual clubs thus far, um, but which club do you think has had the best transfer window thus far? Um, <laughs> well, I, w- w- I would say that West Ham have had a tremendous one con- compared with what we usually do. But do you know what? There's a little note of caution to, yes, we've invested £100 million and, and the cynics will say, hang on a minute, but you haven't invested so much. In previous, you didn't give money to David Moyes and really invest in um, Slavin Bilic. It, you know, we we are second in spending behind Liverpool, but it really depends how well that turns out. I mean, although we've spent a total of £46 million on Philippe Anderson um, from Lazio, uh, we've got to remember he's only made one appearance for Brazil national team. Uh, No one really bought him in five years of playing for Lazio if he was that good. And we didn't seem to have much competition for him, you know, we've paid £36 million up front, another um, £6 million of add-ons, and then a massive, like, £5 million um, agents fee. Pellegrini wanted him among, among all others. Uh, Wilshire, no, no doubt about a free agent Wilshire, another £5 million signing on fee and agent fee. But w- can Wilshire stay fit? Can Pellegrini get the bed out of him? You know, um, the general, because I can't pronounce his name, from Corinthians in Brazil. Only three and a half million pounds. Great big centre-back. Will, it, will he be able to come up with what the goods in the uh, in the Premier League? The same with Issa Diop. 
from Toulouse. Twenty-two million pounds for a twenty-one-year-old centre back. Again, will is Pellegrini got it right? And you got Yamalenko. I'm trying to remember Fabianski in goal. Solid. He he's obviously a solid guy. And then you've got uh, Fredericks um, from Fulham. Again, no Premier League experience. So you know. Beyond Wilshire, who's got Premier League experience, but has got a very bad um, injury record, and Fabianski, that we pay £7 million, which is, is he an upgrade more than Adrian? I don't know. But what I will say is, in Pellegrini we trust. This is a new project. This is probably the best manager we've ever had in Manuel Pellegrini. And we've got to trust him, that he knows what he's doing, and these are solid transfers that will gel together, and, and it's £100 million well spent but it, it's hard it's hard just to automatically say I think and this doesn't matter what team it is whether it's Liverpool who's spent more than us or or people like Spurs that have spent nothing um, you never know until until the first 10 games you really not, never know how those um, those, those transfers are going to work out so in, unless you're going to do it by value I really think it's very difficult to say who's had the best um, transfer window so far yeah, I think I I think it's yeah it's difficult to tell at this stage. Um, there's a little club that have caught the eye, but I, it's again it's it's like I mentioned Swansea and Everton earlier. It's difficult to know if that translates to success on the pitch. I I think if we're talking transfer business, I think Liverpool have, have made big steps forward, um, addressing a couple of real problem areas. And of course, you got Cater coming in, and last season one of their problems was when they were losing or, or drawing games, and they weren't you know, two or three goals up, they struggled to change a game. So, you know, the return of storage and the addition of Shakiri is, is massive in that regard. So they will have a couple of options off the bench to try and change games and, and keep players fresh as well. So I think they're really important additions. Um, if, if they got a centre-back in as well, that would probably complete that. But it's unrealistic to address everything in one window. And, and, and Klopp, the way he's built this squad, it's, it's been a very, you know, slow progression, but it's been a... It's, it's, it's gone at a pace that suits the team and, and, and they're not trying to bring in too many people at once. So I think they're a club that have, have, have caught the eye. Another one is Arsenal, it might surprise, but I think if we're talking about who has improved most over an off-season, I think they, they've been in regression for years and, and you know, the, the four teams that finished in this four last year have all been progressing. Chelsea, you know what they're like, they, they're they a very odd club. You know, they win the League One year, then they have a, a bad year, then they'll come back. So they, they'll no doubt be strong again especially if they keep Hazard, uh, that would be that would be massive. And I think Sarri's a really good appointment there. So I think it was important that Arsenal had a good summer. Otherwise, they would have, maybe the, the top six would have become a top five. So I think they have done that. I think they've brought in some decent players. Um, you're going to have Aubameyang for a whole season. I, th- I think it was massive to get rid of Wenger. And although there are doubts about Emery, I think he's going to improve them. The one thing about Arsenal last year, they're probably the, the most undercoached team. Wenger very much let them do what they wanted. And, and he had a setup, but it, it wasn't, as detailed as, as the rest of the top coaches, and that's one of the reasons he got left behind. And, and the thing with Emery, one of his crit, crit, uh, criticisms throughout his career is that he can over he can over over coach a team. He, he you know he gives them so much information, so much video package, and, and things like that. But that's exactly what Arsenal need. They need somebody to come in and give them you know a lot of coaching because it's been missing. So I think he's going to be a really good appointment. I, I think they're going to have a really good year. I think Torreira is a good good signing. I, I, I think they're going to play assist. Uh, system that suits Aubameyang and Lacazette getting both in there so I think I think they're gonna they, they're going with low expectations but I think they're gonna have a really really good season I wouldn't be surprised to see them finish in the top four I think Manchester United and Tottenham and Chelsea have all got question marks about them and there's no reason why Arsenal can you know can't get back to where they perhaps think they should be um so I think they've they've had a really good one and and, and it's obvious that to point at, at Wolves and Fulham for what they've done there's a lot of eye-catching moves that they've made but it, it's the same question marks we had about. I, I had, a, you know, about Everton and, and Swansea. I mentioned earlier they, they've brought in a lot of eye-catching players, but I think there's still players in both teams that are maybe not up to the Premier League, and and, and I still think they're not gonna. You know, everyone's talking about them for top half finishes. Wolves maybe, but I think Fulham. You know, it's it's it would be a stretch to get them to get into the top half. So, for me, I think Liverpool in terms of transfers, Arsenal in terms of everything, are the two clubs that have probably improved the most over the close season. Not being biased, I think Liverpool probably have had one of the best windows in the league. Um, sort of one, Jake just mentioned it then quite perfectly. One of the main issues that we had if we weren't winning 3-0 within the first 20 minutes was 
was turning the game sort of definitively in our favour to sort of win the game when the other team would develop a low block and sort of like, you know, the adrenaline, the enthusiasm sort of died down after the first few minutes. Um, I think Naby Keita is someone to help that simply because um, you can't always pass your weight intricately through these low blocks. Sometimes it's got, you know, it's a burst of a burst of energy and a burst of pace, something Alex Chamberlain was, was giving us quite well in the second half last season, but obviously he's out for the year. Um, so Cater coming in for that, who is arguably a better player than Alex Huxley-Chamberlain. So that's good for us. And then also you've got Shakiri and Sturridge off the bench, um, who are going to be absolutely great options in terms of squad depth. Um, but yeah, I think I think a few of the big teams have had decent windows. I mean, if Chelsea have obviously got Sarian, which is probably maybe a long-term thought for them. Um, usually they're quite short-term, but... You know, he, it's going to take a while to, for him to fully get his ideas across. And Jorginho is obviously a great signing. They've had a lot of outgoings. And probably if they can keep hold of the star players such as Hazard and, you know, William, then and Kante, because he's been talked up by Mbappe to PSG, then I think they'll probably consider this window a success for them simply because they had a quite, you know, a poor season. And if they can keep the best players together with, the you know, the freshness of a new manager, then they might get the kick from that. Um, obviously, it's hard to say without the window fully you know, fully being completed. I mean, Tottenham have done nothing yet, but they might sign three players between now and the end mm. of the window and, and, and you know, go on to have a great season. Who knows? Obviously, I, Wolves have had an eye-catching uh, window with players like Rio Patricio and Joe Moutinho, but are these players going to perform in the Premier League? I mean, I have less doubts about Rio Patricio, but someone like Joe Moutinho, who's like never been the quickest kind of player and he's, all, he's just going to be losing sort of agility and stuff at this age so who knows about him I mean they look they look good on paper but we'll see um, and then obviously Fulham have signed um, Seri which is, I think is a great signing and Arsenal have signed some good players they finally you know had that changing of the guard with Emery and Wenger swapping so it, you know it's giving up to be really, a really interesting season I don't think personally that United have strengthened as much as they needed to but I don't know. I feel as if the fans and the board are losing patience with Mourinho now. And do they want to throw another, you know, 200 million at a guy who might not be there at Christmas? I think that's the kind of situation that they're in right now. So, and yeah, a few teams have sort of underwhelmed, but I feel like it's all still to play for in terms of just the transfer window. A lot of teams still have moves to make. And I think Tottenham's the main player in that, in that, you know, they can definitely do business between now and change this window around for themselves. Yeah, I think the really interesting thing about both Tottenham and Manchester United, who, as uh, many of you mentioned, both are probably disappointed with their moves thus far, uh, is that both of them are waiting to see what happens with players that are wanted by other clubs first. With Tottenham, it's what's going to happen with Toby Alderweireld and, to a lesser extent, Moussa Dembele. At United, what's happening with Anthony Martial. And then from those sales, then in comes the money to go buy other people. Then you know you have minutes to promise players that you're looking at if there's going to be a spot there. Like I know United were interested in Perisic pre-rolled cup, although surely his price has skyrocketed since. Um, but yeah, I, I do agree that, you know, we should see... Levy does from... like a late deal though, doesn't he, Kev? <laughs> he does, but we usually like it when his late deals is the third or fourth signing of the window. And now we're yeah. like 13 days away from it being the first. Um, but as you say, it's likely both of those clubs do make moves and we'll see how they improve. Um, but it is getting very late in the window. Again, for people that are unaware, uh, the window will close August 9th, not the 31st, as has been tradition. Um, so yeah, we'll see what happens there. Uh, we're going to take a quick break and then we'll come back with questions for each of our guests. Every fan knows the right player in the right position can be a game changer. Put LifeLock between your identity and identity thieves to monitor and alert you to threats you could miss. Plus, with a U.S.-based restoration specialist on your team, you won't have to face drained accounts, fraudulent loans, or other losses from identity theft alone. All backed by the LifeLock Million Dollar Protection Package. Change the game on identity theft. Save up to 25% your first year at LifeLock.com slash aware. All right, Sean, we will lead in with you uh, with West Ham, of course. You mentioned Arnautovic as a potential Golden Boot winner. I assume this is, of course, because uh, the way you've built your squad over this offseason seems to imply that he'll be starting up front uh, as a center forward for West Ham with what I'm assuming will be Yarmolenko on the left and Felipe Anderson on the right. Yes, but I've, I think there will be a couple of... Um, I think sometimes there will be a lone striker 
which will probably be Anatovic. But remember, we've got Hernandez as well, and he's been told that he's got a future and Pellegrini wants him. So I think there will be a time where two will play up front and that other, uh, that other striker will be uh, uh, Chikorito. Uh, I don't think I don't think it'd get as uh, the same amount of minutes, but I think it'd be an important player for us. Mm-hmm. And Pellegrini, otherwise we might as well sell him. You know, he, he wants off. He doesn't think he had enough minutes. He he is a classic goal poacher, right? He's not the yeah. quickest anymore. But you put him in the box and feed him a ball, and he will score. And therefore, in in Philippe Anderson uh, and Yamalenko, yeah. You've got, and you know, and 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 put an Antonio and Masuaku and uh, Wilshire, you know, and and don't forget Alan, um, Aaron Cresswell as well, who had the most assists from a defender last year. If you, if you just keep on whipping those balls in, um, I think Chikorito will come good and will look a good investment for 16 million last year. Because I think with the right kind of service, he will score. If he's played right by Pellegrini, mm-hmm. uh, he will come good. Yeah, the other um, name, and interestingly, a position that you haven't seemed to have directly filled, is that of one Manuel Lanzini. suffered a heartbreaking injury right before the World Cup. Seems like he's going to miss the majority of the season. Are you surprised that you haven't addressed the position specifically, or will you move around some pieces to fill that, that kind yeah. of traditional ten role? Yeah, you're right. And and, and look, we, my, our main business is done, so I don't expect to really uh, have a complete creative player in there. I think I think Pellegrini will mix it around in in the in some of the midfielders I've just mentioned. I think that they will will look to create goals. And you know, as you say, I, I don't think we have got a traditional number ten. Um, we've got a young player, uh, Hazabanovic, if I pronounce that correctly who's been playing really well in pre-season and he's been sort of dubbed as a um, Lanzini replacement, but he's a youngster. Uh, and while he showed some promise with the lower leagues uh, in the, in the pre-season, I'm not sure that he's going to be thrown into the um, straight into the first team to, to fulfill a role um, that Lanzini played so well last year. But I, I still believe we can do well without Lanzini. And and Lanzini believes, by the way, he will be back uh, next year. So, I mean, you oh, know, wow. in January or February, we, we should be getting Lanzini. That would be a uh, fantastic return time. Yeah. So, so you know, it's the operation went well. His training is going well. And he personally believes, and, and you know, you've got to just say he personally believes rather than his, his medical team believes he's aiming for a February return or a late January return. That would be fantastic because regardless of clubs you support, you never want to see an injury like that, especially right before the World Cup when he had finally gotten his chance there. I uh, yeah. was very disappointed to see and, and hope he recovers both quickly and well. Um, Jake, coming to you about Newcastle, you already mentioned this a little bit. Um, you have made some very, I think, smart signings this summer, but obviously have not thrown the checkbook out to support Benitez the way that you've kind of consistently said since you came back up, you kind of needed to ensure that he would stay long-term. Earlier you mentioned you haven't paid, uh, spent enough to at least keep him uh, 12 more months for sure. Uh, how frustrated have you been with this summer period? Because as I said, especially like Shar, that seems like a pretty uh, acute investment. It's been a frustrating summer, I think. If you look at the end of last season, we um, finished in the top 10. We, had a, we have a manager that probably should be managing a lot, a lot higher than that. Uh, there was interest in him. He stayed. You know, there was an opportunity to invest in and really try and get into that top eight and and you know challenge for cups. It was it was an opportunity for Newcastle. But the thing about the thing about the current situation we're in is, I don't think Mike actually really wants to sell the football club. I think he's quite happy being being owner of Newcastle. He's quite like the, the free advertising he gets uh, and the the guaranteed income. So I think I think in that sense he doesn't want to sell the club. And in Benitez, he has a manager that he knows he can give little money to and he could still get what he wants so he knows that if he doesn't give Benitez you know 60 70 million which I think would have been a fair budget for where we were uh, and given the money you get for being a Premier League club that he, we, he wasn't asking for hundreds of million like like West Ham was spending he just wanted a fair budget uh, and if he would have got that he would have been happy but you think Mike Ashley's looked at that and he think do I give do I give Benitez all this money now or do I or do I keep this money back for when Benitez leaves 
and when I'll probably need to spend this money. That's what that's what you're thinking, because what, what will happen? We we're going to have a fine season. We're going to finish mid-table. Benitez is going to leave next summer at the end of his contract. And then we'll probably appoint somebody like an Alan Pardew, not Alan Pardew, but of that ilk of manager. And that's when mm. we'll give the manager the money, because we'll need to spend the money for that manager to get success. So he knows in Benitez as a manager that he doesn't need to give a lot of money to because he can bring these players in on the cheap he can mould the team into a well-organised team that will, that will you know stay in games concede little goals and, and nick a few goals just to get enough points to stay up and it will be next year that he'll, he'll throw the money at it which is just ridiculous it, it, it's, it's, it's stupid it, there's no reasonable explanation for it other than he doesn't like the way Benitez goes about you know challenging him in press conferences he doesn't like the ambition he's showing and it, he doesn't want a manager that that wants to challenge him for the top six. He wants a manager that just wants to, you know, go about his business, finish mid-table every year, pick up the Premier League money. That's what he wants. So next season, the money will come out. I'm, I have no doubt about that. But at that, that point, will the supporters still be there? Probably not. There's a lot of fan movements going on. Uh, a, a quite catchy hashtag and Twitter handle at the moment is if Rafa goes, we go. And I think that's really going to carry on throughout the season. I, I, I really do think if Benitez goes next summer that Mike Hatchie's going to realise what a big mistake he's made by not giving him a fair budget. I think the fans this time will walk out. I think it's been you know, 12 years of this, and I think they have had enough. It's, you know, they, we, Newcastle fans have been stupidly loyal, um, and, and a lot of them are pointing out what West Ham did last year, you know, the protests and things. Whether that directly led to all this money being spent, might not have done, but you know, these things do make a difference. And, and since even these you know, Twitter accounts have, have launched, and they, if Rafa goes, we go, these, these, it's been catching on. We've seen Alan Shearer you know, point to it. We've seen uh, the local MP bring a petition about Mike Ashley in Parliament and the way he owns Newcastle. So this pressure has obviously led to a couple of signings. We've got uh, Sharon and we've got uh, Muto coming in. I think he's coming in from from the Bundesliga. And Rondon seems to be getting closer. So even these little things have made a difference and it's kicked the board into giving Benitez a little bit of money. So it'll be interesting to see how it folds out and whether it, it, it does lead eventually to Benitez sign a new contract. I'd doubt it, or, or if it leads to if it leads to Mike Ashley selling the club, it might do. But you need a pitch the... invasion, Zach. You need you need you you need the same as we had in Burnley, and and I tell you now, there's no <laughs> doubt that did have an effect on the board, without a shadow of a doubt, that fan power can have an effect. And I think, you know, it it's we now see the six people who went on that pitch, they're now treated as almost martyrs in West Ham folklore because they started a movement. And they got life bans, by the way, for going on the pitch. Um, and obviously the protest against the board. And suddenly in the summer, they get £100 million. They sign um, Manuel Pellegrini and they spend £100 million. And let me tell you, right, when any other manager, when we had... Um, uh, what's his name? Uh, David Moyes, forgot his name. <laughs> and, and Slavin Bilic. The board controlled both of those managers. Manuel Pellegrini, funny you should be talking about Rafa Benitez, who West Ham fans wanted, will take no shit from no one. And he is telling our board, no, I want more money. I want more money. I want more money. I want to do this. I want to do this. And I think Rafa Benitez is a similar kind of manager. And I think you're right. I think... Uh, Mark Ashley finds that very difficult to live with, and he'd rather mid-table obscurity than a manager that uh, challenges authority. But time for the fans to stand up, Zach. No, no, I, I agree. I think that's, that's what needs to happen. I think I think we need to... Um, I think it will happen this season. I think this is the time to do it well. Benitez is still at the club. It's pointless waiting around for it. But it just I think that needs to happen, and it will happen. But I still think it's eventually going to end in Benitez leaving, but that, that's, that's going to happen. It's going to be... Could be annoying, but it's going to happen. But back to you, Kevin, on the signings. I think I think the signings we've made have been good on a low budget. But it is very good at finding these players. I think um, it's very easy to look at maybe Marino leaving. He's a young uh, Spanish under twenty-one midfielder being replaced by Key on a free. He's twenty-nine years old, uh, and you know Mitrovic going out, a young international striker, and, and Rondon perhaps coming in. But last year we had the youngest Premier League squad, uh, and maybe a bit of experience won't hurt. I think. And it's better to have players that want to play for the club than don't want to play for the club. So I think I think we signed some good players, but I, I think maybe a little bit more investment and a little bit more ambition. We could be talking about challenging uh, for the top eight and, and challenging for cups, but I just don't think that's realistic given what we have done so far. 
Yeah, the one um, spot that still looks like it needs to be filled is that center forward spot, especially as it looks increasingly likely that you're going to allow Mitrovic to go to Fulham. Most recent links being Solomon Rondon. A, do you agree that you do need uh, to buy at least a traditional forward? Um, I kind of lost my train of thought there. Are you going to buy a center forward? Uh, yeah, I think we're going to get Rondon. I think the thing about Rondon is he's. I think he's. I think he'd be a good signing. I think uh, if you look at his stats, he. he Go. He often averages more than a, a dribble and and a head uh, aerial win a game. So he, he can run with the ball. He can he can win aerial balls. He can, he's strong. He's quick. He can score goals if you give him service. I think at West Brom, West Brom were always a team that didn't really create much of that centre forward. So I think his his goal record there is perhaps a fair reflection of what he can do. I think he's an upgrade. I think he, you know it's it's a solid signing. I I think he's gonna do pretty well at Newcastle. He's, he's the centre the type of centre forward that. Benitez wanted the club. Hossel is a similar sort of profile, but he's nowhere near as good, especially in front of goals. So I think it's an upgrade, and I, and I think the guy coming in from the Bundesliga, Muto, he's, he's meant to be quite good, uh, sort of being compared to Shinji Okazaki, which might be a little bit racist because they're both Japanese, but I don't know. <laughs> I think I think I think he's I think he's quite a I think he's 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 a player that works hard. Apparently, he's quite good at understanding you know the tactical side of the game, and. Uh, People that watch him in the Bundesliga have given him quite good reviews and saying he's, he's a potential bargain for Newcastle. So we'll see how he does as well. Uh, there's rumours that Dwight Gale might go out to West Brom in, in part of the, in Park Exchange for, for Rondon. So if that happens, Benitez probably want another striker because we can't really go in with uh, just Hosselu and, and, and Rondon. So we'll see. We'll see what happens there. Hopefully, a bit more business is done. We need another centre back now that it looks like Lejeune is out yeah. for the season. So I think probably going to try and get somebody on a loan or a cheap for that I think um, and I think we've been linked to Joe Bryan the Bristol City left back mm. he's, he's done quite well in the championship he's, he's tipped quite big things so I think we'll see a bit more business it won't be big money being spent we're not going to break our transfer record again um, we haven't broken it for years now so that's not going to happen who, who like, was it? Like, Michael Owen. <laughs> oh, wow. Yes, yeah, so that's a long time ago. So, yeah, we're not going to break it. We're not broken it under Mike Ashton. We're probably not going to break it under him as long as he's here. So, we'll see what happens. Uh, but I think we'll sign a few more players. We'll be fine. But, yeah, I don't think we're going to see any big business. Interesting. Yeah, that Lejeune injury uh, is a blow. But it, it was pretty um, fortunate timing, if there even is such a thing, uh, as you had just signed Fabian Schar. And if Lejeune had gotten hurt a day or two earlier, surely they wouldn't have allowed him to move to you so cheaply if they would have known you needed someone. Uh, in that position. Uh, coming to you now, Zach, um, a very interesting development of this preseason uh, period has been the kind of reintegration of Daniel Sturridge, who of course went out on loan to West Brom uh, in January of last year, almost immediately got hurt again, didn't really make an impact for them. They obviously end up going down, but he's back in camp with you guys. He's been putting in some pretty decent performances. What do you think of both keeping him and the role he may play under Klopp this year? I think it's quite an interesting subject, really. Um... I think he's definitely not. I feel like he's not going to play up front if he plays this season. I think he's going to start quite a you know quite a low number of games. But if he if he is to come on, I feel like Liverpool could sort of like establish a four-two-three-one formation and play him in sort of in the ten. And assuming Firmino still on the pitch and Mane and Salary the side, then he could sort of like allow them to do the legs. You know the leggy work for him, and then he's obviously we would hope Cater and Fabinho would be behind him as well, so that's even more. I think it's. I'm really happy to be honest that he's been reintegrated. I mean, he went away. I kind of thought that when he went away to West Brom, that when he got the injury straight away, I kind of thought that like the information on Sturridge can't it can't have been communicated properly to West Brom in terms of the fact that he definitely needs a tailored training regime and I sort of thought at the time that that information was either ignored or it just wasn't communicated by us which I, f I would find ridiculous if that was the case because in terms of over the last like three years or so Adam Lallana has been unavailable for more games than Sturridge. Sturridge hasn't played as many games but he's been fit and not played sort of thing you know because he's sort of like not fit into Klopp's system in, in quotation marks so Adam Lallana is definitely a more injury-prone player. It's just that there's like this stigma around Sturridge. So like when he went to West Brom and got injured straight away, I was kind of I was kind of thought, you know, is that because he's gone into a new training regime for a few weeks and then it's sort of like not, you know, his body's not reacted properly to that. So I, I thought that was a bit unusual. And to be honest, the guy clearly like loves the club. 
and all Liverpool fans love him. I would I would absolutely love it if if he just had sort of like a successful season. Not I'm not talking like 2013-2014 levels where he scored four goals in the league. I'm, I mean, let's just get into double figures, starting 15 games maybe in all comps and, you know, making 20 decent sub-appearances. So you're looking at 35 maybe. Just getting minutes under his belt because he's a glorious player when he's fit. He's so... Everyone thinks he's just like, you know, when he was younger, he was sort of like a pace merchant and he was a tapping merchant. But he's he's such a good footballer. Like, the way... He's just, he's just he's ahead of everyone on the pitch, or not everyone, but he's so clever in the in in the central role. That's why I think he could sort of work in the ten. Um, he, he's really good at sort of like finding those through balls, and he, he can dribble a man, make the pass, which gives him an extra two you know two yards of space or whatever. So I hope I think he'd be a really good option off the bench, especially with someone like Shakiri as well. Our bench is looking a lot stronger, and I think it'll look stronger if he's there. Also, as well, in terms of in terms of looking at it from you know a cold perspective, from the Liverpool perspective. He's on 150k a week. No one else can afford to pay him that. And he's in the last year of his contract. So let's just use him for this last year. And hopefully he stays injury-free. Klopp selects him more when he is injury-free. And let's hope if he doesn't earn another contract, let's at least maybe have a swan song for him and you know use him as much as possible. Because he's a really popular figure around Liverpool. So... Yeah, that that's my hope for Sturridge going forward, and I'm absolutely buzzing with his with his performances in preseason. But as we say, we don't lend too much weight to that. But you know, I alluded earlier that we look at the personal performances yeah. over the team performances. So yeah, for me, I'm I'm absolutely buzzing that he's, that he's maybe finding his feet again. Yeah, it would be really interesting to see a, a at least like 75% version of Daniel Sturridge back in the Premier League. Um, yeah. The other side of this, uh, Sean actually mentioned it pretty early on here. Um, is what happens to a squad when you do sign so many players in the same window. I'm just curious if, if there is any fear of betting in issues or, or how long you think that grace period is while everybody really gets uh, developed into the side. Um, I think it's a bit of an interesting one for Liverpool, with Liverpool this summer because everyone perceives that we've signed loads of players, but we've actually only signed four. So like four, mm. four is probably like you know probably a good number to sign each summer. I mean, if you're looking at seven signings, which obviously Spurs have experienced in and West Ham this season, it, it, that's quite a difficult number to to integrate all in all in you know one one window. Maybe um, it feels like a lot because they're coming into the first team directly. Yeah, that's what I was that's what I was going to say, and also big fees as well. So it's not mm. as if you know we're signing eight players and three of them are kids and they're going to be going inside the under 18s or onto the bench. We've only, we've signed three starters. So I can understand why there would, why there would need to be some integration, but I think I feel like these are plays that would really suit us. So Allison's is phenomenal for a goalkeeper and Naby Keita seems to fit Klopp's sort of perspective on football really well. So you can't imagine that signing going anywhere, but well, and then Fabinho is the one for me that's got a question mark on it, only because um, of the comments that Klopp's made in preseason. So we, he said he sort of alluded to the fact that he was dropping deep a little bit too much um, because Monaco. So apparently, I don't watch a whole lot of Monaco except in the Champions League, so I couldn't say definitively. But from what Klopp was saying, he seems to be saying that Klopp, sorry, <laughs> that Monaco play a bit deeper than than we would like to. So we we sort of play with our centre backs literally in the opposition half most of the time. And Fabinho was said to be dropping a bit too deep. So I think it might take him a few weeks to sort of to see the best of him. But I've no doubt that he's a quality player. Um, and then Shakiri is going to be mostly a bench player, but he's got tons of Premier League experience. And even though it was a bad season for Stoke, I don't personally sort of subscribe to the to these opinions that he had a bad season because I don't, you know, he was still the second in the assists and top of the goal scorers for them. So I think it should be okay. I mean, the, the squad harmony is really high from the existing players and everyone seems to really bought into the projects and seems really happy with each other. They all seem to be friends, making jokes with each other, etc. So I feel like it's a strong group. And then these guys coming in, so far it seems seamless. Like Keita seems really good friends with Sturridge already. And Shakiri in all the videos that we've seen of him, just getting on with everyone from his experience in the Premier League. So the, the one that we've not seen yet is Alisson. In terms of quality... In, and form, he's probably the strongest one coming into this team. Like his form was outstanding last season, and although he didn't have the best World Cup for Brazil, because I did see maybe a couple of spills, maybe a bit too aggressive in certain situations, 
his club form is absolutely outstanding. So even though he's the one with, with sort of like maybe one of the bigger question marks and the fact that we've not seen him yet, I'm still confident about it. So yeah, in terms of integration, that's not something I'm worried about, whereas I have been in previous seasons. I can understand from the outside looking in, it seems like we've had this massive upheaval. But yeah, it's still only four signings, so I'm hoping that it you know, it should be okay. There might be another signing between now and the end. Um, and then you're sort of looking at maybe four players coming into the starting 11 or whatever, then you're maybe stretching it a bit. But yeah, I think it, I think it should be okay. And... Yeah, first games at Anfield, maybe build some confidence. Sorry, Sean. Um, <laughs> and hopefully that gets, gets us off to a good start. And, you know, that's quite a, quite a valuable resource. Yeah, I'm glad you pointed that out because, uh, you know, even on my side, it did feel like you'd signed a lot of players. But, you know, as you said, it isn't, it isn't the, oh, it's not the total number, but the impact of those four should be pretty high uh, for you this season. Kind of on the topic of players now, we'll quickly move into player watch. Uh, with less than two weeks left uh, before the transfer deadline, what position do you think your club may still address? And if you aren't going to do any more business, what position do you think you perhaps should have filled this window? So um, while we've already signed uh, seven, uh, we probably have got another two to three to come in. So we've got, uh, we need a backup striker because we're going to let Hugo um, we bought for 10 million from uh, Preston and yeah. it hasn't really worked out. So he's off and we want to bring in a backup strike. And there's lots of names being mentioned, including uh, on a mention one, Angel Romero, who's from Corinthians. And we've just bought his teammate, the general mm. uh, for like three and a half million. Angel Mar- Romero is a similar, about three million. By the way, since he's been linked, he's been played as a striker, which is we want him. He's scored five goals <laughs> in the last two games. That's what happens when you're linked with a Premier League side. Uh, five goals in two games, uh, including a hat-trick today. So um, we get a backup striker. And I think Hernandez, you know, talk of Gomez from Barcelona is unlikely unless Hernandez leaves. And I don't think Marco Anantovic is going to go, despite all the earlier rumours from he's going to Man United. Um, so we need a backup striker. The second position we need is, uh, or, or two other positions, we need another attacking midfielder. Um, and do you know what? I think that uh, Jean Mario from Portugal um, will come back on loan. I think he did really well at the end in the Premier League, and I think he'll come back. If not, it will be a, a player like him. And finally, we need a defensive midfielder, which does mean either one or both of Chiati and um, Obiang will be going. Uh, Obiang, uh, who is it? Sam Doria wants him back. They've just got their money from uh, Arsenal. Uh, they've offered us nine million. We say that's not enough in the current market, so they need to pay more. And we also want Obiang to stay. Pellegrini likes him. Uh, Chiati probably best is past his best form. Palace want him. Again, if either of those two leave or both of them leave, we need defensive midfielders to fill their position. Apart from that, I think we're pretty much done. We always like a little bit of a gamble in getting a loan. Um, but rumours that we're, we're, we were going to buy another centre-back, um, I forget his name, uh, Vidal, is it? The the Croatian from uh, in the World Cup for 30 million, I think is a little bit far-fetched, if I'm honest with you. Um, but I think we're not done on our business yet. I would expect us to sign a minimum of nine players by the time the window is done, and it could be as much as 11 players by the time the window slams shuts. Yeah, Jake, you mentioned uh, centre-back probably in need now with the Lejeune injury uh, and Rondon potentially up front. Anything else uh, on the way, maybe? Yeah, I pretty much covered everything that I think we're going to do. Um, I think we'll probably sign another centre-back. I think we'll sign Rondon. I think we might sign a full-back as well, maybe Joe Bryan or somebody similar. Um, I'd quite like to see us sign another central midfielder because um, I think Isaac Hayden's quite quite... He's handed their transfer request. He wants to leave for personal reasons. He wants to go back down south. So if he does go, I'd, we probably need another centre midfielder. Um, and I, we've been linked with several in this window. Um, I don't think going in with Shelby, Key and Diame is quite enough for a Premier League season. So maybe another one of those. But it, it's all it, what Benitez does in these transfer windows. He, he has so many plates spinning that I just wouldn't be surprised if we just 
see a few more signings, not not big signings as, as I mentioned earlier, but I think we'll probably see a few more and and a few more departures. I think that's probably quite as important as, as the people coming in. We've got quite a lot of players doing nothing in our squad. Uh, we saw Matt Bell go leave the other day. We've seen Cole back go out. We probably need a few more of those to a few more players to leave as well. So I think it's going to be busy, but I just don't think it's going to be anything that that. Uh, fans of other clubs look at and go, wow, Newcastle have done good business. It's going to be very average, just filling out the squad and just making sure we've got enough. So yeah, I think I think Rondon, I think I think another defender, a full back, and maybe a midfield. I think we might see a few, but yeah, it's, not, it's going to be nothing great. Yeah, Zach, as well. You also mentioned that you might bring in somebody else. I know Fakir's long been sought after, and there has not been a Coutinho direct replacement. And then Oxley Chamberlain got hurt. Uh, is that the area you think you'd most strengthen? Yeah, it's it, it's a bit of a tricky one. Um, as, as, as well, I'm actually kind of glad you asked me this question because, yeah, we've had a great window, but the general consensus is that we still need at least maybe two signings. You know, it, Jake mentioned before you can't solve all your issues in one in one window, especially if you've got like five glaring ones, which we kind of did. You know, certain positions and then squad depth, etc. Um, so Liverpool fans seem to think that we. And I agree that we need a starting right centre-back and we also need a starting, you know, attacking midfielder who can pick a lock. Klopp has said that we definitely won't be signing... Oh, sorry. He said he's happy with his defensive options, which seems to rule out signing the centre-back. But as I said earlier, I'd, we don't listen to Klopp anymore because he says one thing and then does another, aka backing carries and then signing Alisson a day later. Um, and so, yeah... Right centre-back, I've heard rumours about Tarkowski at Burnley. Me, personally, I would quite like quite like the sells from Newcastle. Sorry, Jake. Um, he's a great player and he's got sort of like the captain's mentality and he's been coached by Benitez, which gives me even more confidence that he's a good player. Um, and then the attacking role, as you say, in terms of like for like, we've probably not replaced Coutinho. Um, at the minute, you could probably say that Cater is the Coutinho replacement because although he's very, very good at, at defending, he's also very good at attacking and he can dribble and pick a lock, which is demonstrated in, in pre-season. Um, he can do both those things just like Coutinho could. But why would why would Klopp and why would the club have gone so heavy for an attacking midfielder at the start of the window to then be knocked back by this? Oh, sorry, well, not not back by the player, but you know, medical went wrong or negotiations. All this is always just a mess to deal with. Exactly. Of course, he's, he's he's just you know he's a nightmare to deal with. So why would we go from sort of doubling down on that position to then not getting that number one target? And then there's been nothing about an attacking mid for the rest of the summer. There's been very very small murmurs about Pulisic, but that's not happening this season because we a can't promise him the minutes at the age that he's at, and b he will develop better at Dortmund than he would at Liverpool because he, he play, he's going to play more and it's probably less pressure. I kind of foresee that Liverpool will sign. Fakir at the last minute when Aulis has got no cards left to play. He's got no more interviews to do during the mid-afternoon, which he does seem- seemingly every day to sort of like bring Liverpool back to the table because we're not blinking and I think he's starting to sweat now because if it, it, the, the consensus is that Liverpool didn't sign Fakir because his knee was in a certain way and we wanted money off because £50 million for a healthy attacking midfielder who's as good as Fakir, that's but £50 million for a player who's as good as Fakir but might break down at any moment, that's not on. So I, I kind of feel as if at the last minute we're going to pull Fakir out for about £35 million, maybe with some add-ons over appearances that might make it up to 50 eventually or near to 50 That's That's what I foresee. And the fact that we've like tried to not sign any other attacking midfielders pinpoints to me that Klopp really wants Fakir. So... Yeah, I think that Liverpool will sign for Kier at some point in this window, and hmm. that would sort of create. And even if more not, it could be a Van Dyke thing there. again, where yeah, it could be like January first. Yeah, exactly. So yeah, it's one of those. I can't. I, I do. I feel like we will sign him because I, I don't think Alves is going to get fifty million pounds off anyone now because of the reasons I just said. You know, around his knee, etc. Like everyone else will be thinking, why did Liverpool go so heavy and then pull out? And then they'll probably do a medical scan and it'll, it should prove the same. Someone mm-hmm. else with more money might be able to take that gamble and just write that money off, Chelsea or City, whoever. But yeah, that's how I foresee it. Aulis isn't going to get as much money for his product now. Yeah. And he needs us back to the table. So I think in the last minute, last few days, I think we'll see some movement there. Gotcha. 
All right, uh, well, that will do it for us on the show today. Thank you guys so much for joining us on, again, episode one of season six. It's been an absolute pleasure. If you'd like to tell the folks where they can find you or anything you're working on, now would be a good time. Thanks for having me. Uh, my name's Sean Whetstone. As I said, I'm a West Ham supporter. I write for Clarent Hugh, which is uh, www.clarentandhugh.info. I also have a West Ham podcast called More Than Just a Podcast which is more as in Bobby Moore with two O's and uh, just put a .co.uk on the end and you can find us on iTunes and the rest of it. If you want to follow me on Twitter, it's at West Ham Football. Cheers. Yeah, thanks for listening. You can get me on Twitter at Jake Jackson with two N's. I write for EPL Index and The Boot Room to check both of those out. And over in the last week, I've had an interview with uh, Cardiff City defender Joe Bennett go up on The Boot Room, so check that one out. Uh, check that one out. It's all about his uh, the promotion season, his own career, and what he expects for Cardiff in the Premier League. So yeah, check that one out. Yeah, thanks for having me, uh, guys. As always, been a pleasure. You can find me on Twitter at zachforster underscore, uh, rambling on about Liverpool and general life, aka politics and Love Island. <laughs> See you there. <laughs> yeah, and I'm your host Kevin DeVries at Kevroff on Twitter. You can find my uh, writings over at goal.com. Uh, also, be sure to check into our championship and fantasy shows that you can find on this very channel. Uh, thanks so much again for you guys for joining us. It was a pleasure as always, and we hope you keep listening. 